Do you wish your baby slept through the night and was a great napper? Has your baby been waking up repeatedly in the middle of the night and you find yourself feeling exhausted and not sure how long you can keep this up for? Or are nap times a struggle and you feel stressed every time nap time comes around? I'm so excited you're here because today I'll be sharing how to help your child sleep through the night and be a great napper. Welcome to The Joe Randolph Show, a podcast for mothers to discover simple and easy ways to increase your feeling of joy every day. I'm your host, Joe Randolph, and I'm a qualified well-being coach, a wife, and a mother that's obsessed with discovering simple ways we can create a healthier and happier life for ourselves and our family. On this show, we discuss how to have more joy in your relationships, in your family, in your health, and your career. Now let's dive into today's episode, which is helping your child sleep through the night. When you hear a mother share that their baby is sleeping through the night, how does that make you feel? When she passively mentions, nap times are so easy, I just put the baby down and they nap peacefully in the crib for two hours. What thought comes in your mind? Whenever I heard a mama say that, I would think, what do you have, a unicorn baby? When your child cries so much when it's time to sleep and requires all your help, whether it's shushing, rocking, driving, holding, breastfeeding them to sleep, bottle feeding them to sleep. It's hard to comprehend the idea that they could go to sleep peacefully and easily with little to no intervention and fall back to sleep by themselves when you aren't even there. Because in that moment, when I'm sleep deprived, I am desperate. I'm in a desperate situation and they're not. It's the equivalent of being on a Caribbean island, sipping a mimosa and having a great time. Well, that's what they're doing. And meanwhile, I'm stuck in the middle of the ocean with no land in sight, treading water day and night just to survive. Not sure how long I can physically keep doing this for before my body caves in feeling alone and wishing there was a way to land. For example, a way to have a baby sleeping peacefully, but having no clue how to get there. Wishing somebody could help me, but having no faith that anyone can. And if you found yourself feeling like that, feeling defeated, like you just have to accept the situation as it is, feeling exhausted because you haven't slept well in months, feeling stretched too thin because your baby hasn't napped well and you're behind your errands, and feeling fed up because you just wished you had figured something out by now. You wished that things would have gotten better by now. Then I just want you to know that you are not alone. Did you know that at least 70% of new parents sacrifice their sleep because they haven't yet figured out how to help their baby sleep through the night in the first year. You know this is a tough season, but I hope you also know that you are going to get through this. 
And in this episode, I'm going to share a few things that I hope feel like a life raft, heck, a boat, and an idea of which direction to go to get yourself on land, sipping a mimosa, and having some of your freedom back. Before I dive into this episode, it's probably worth mentioning that I am not a sleep training consultant. So why create this episode? Firstly, I'm a well-being coach and I understand how important it is for your physical and mental health to get good solid sleep at night. And I also know how important it is for your family's well-being for you and baby to be well-rested. And last but not least, I'm also a mother that has been through this, and I really wanted to create this episode because I understand that your baby is different, and what worked for my family might not work for your your family. That's why instead, what I want to do is I want to share the thought process I took and the changes I made that really helped me discover the best sleep training approach for my family, and that really helped me actually navigate how to get my child sleeping through the night. So think of this episode as your framework for discovering how you will get clear on the best way to get your baby sleeping through the night. Because chances are, when we are stuck in this season of sleep deprivation, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to change. We don't know what's really at the source of it. And this will hopefully help you get the clarity so you have a roadmap to land. In other words, a roadmap to get your baby sleeping through the night. Now that it's all said and done, let's get into today's episode. Let's start with the biggest myth I've heard mamas say that I believe keeps them stuck. One day, my baby will sleep better. Until then, I just have to keep going. A mama that says this typically thinks that their child cannot sleep through the night and that sleep strategies won't work and that other people just don't understand their child, so it's not even worth trying. They also believe that in time, their baby will grow out of it. If you have surrendered and for a long time felt it is what it is, I get it because chances are you have tried your best to get your child to sleep. You have tried shushing them, rocking them. You've tried breastfeeding or bottle feeding them to sleep. You may have even tried putting them down, drowsy but awake, they say, and yet most things have not worked but you will have found something that helps and you've just stuck with it. Even if it's to the detriment of your own sleep, your own health, your back, or even your other responsibilities. I know because I've been there. When I had my second daughter, I was so desperately wanting her to nap in her crib during the daytime so that I could either give my eldest one-on-one attention when she was at home, or I could work in my business when she was at school. But every time I put my youngest to sleep in her crib during the daytime, it was a struggle. She would cry and require so much shushing and soothing and support. 
And even by the time she fell asleep, she'd end up waking up four minutes later or 10 minutes later, but never more than 30 minutes later. And I'd find it impossible to get her back to sleep again. By this point, she would be cranky and I wouldn't have gotten much done. And it felt like such an uphill battle that I just couldn't win. So I surrendered and I did what sleep trainers tell you not to do. I breastfed her to sleep and let her sleep on my chest. Now, if I did this, I figured she actually napped for two solid hours straight. Though this had its perks, like we could nap together during the day if my eldest was at school, and I love seeing her sleep so peacefully whilst nursing on my chest, there were disadvantages, and it proved to be unsustainable. If I needed to go somewhere whilst my husband was home and she was napping, I couldn't. I couldn't do school pickup with her sleeping on me. And also I found it hard to get some of the things I needed done. The real breaking point for me was when my daughter was teething and she would bite my nipple for two hours straight. At that time, breastfeeding became excruciatingly painful and I was ready to quit. It was in this moment that I knew that this approach to napping was not sustainable because if it kept going like this, I would have just stopped breastfeeding altogether, which I knew my baby didn't want. And so I knew I hit the end of the road and I needed to make a change. Fast forward to today, my daughter that is now 13 months old now falls asleep without nursing on her own, in her own bed, and I've still been able to keep up breastfeeding. What this experience taught me was that your child doesn't just suddenly sleep better because they've decided to sleep better. It's not like they have a pre-written schedule in their head that says, when I reach X years old or X months old, I'm going to tell my mom, I no longer need to sleep this way. I no longer need to be rocked or shushed or bounced or breastfed or bottle fed. I'll just walk myself to bed and put myself to sleep and you don't need to help anymore, mommy. I'm independent. I can do this myself. In fact, did you know that for many parents, their child doesn't figure out how to sleep on their own and without help for the first six years. Yeah, six years. And this is for two reasons. Sleep is a habit. A habit is defined as a settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that is hard to give up. Not sure if you caught that part, especially one that is hard to give up. When we have a bad habit that's not serving us, since when do we just randomly snap out of it and replace it for a good one? Typically, it's hard to make that change. And it usually requires us to make a conscious decision and to start to put things into place to make that change easier. With the right support and with the right tools and the right guidance, we are then eventually able to start not only making those changes, but actually sticking to it. Well, I've come to believe that baby sleep is actually quite similar. They get used to a way of sleeping. 
So you're either waiting for time to pass, maybe for up to six years, but really what you're waiting for isn't time to pass, is you're waiting for something to trigger a change. Usually that trigger is a time where you'll decide enough is enough, or the baby will decide enough is enough, and they are ready for a change. In other words, waiting is simply kicking the can down the road. If you have the option of having a great sleeper now, would you do it? Or would you rather keep things as they are? It is important to note that there is no perfect time. There is no rush. There's only a good time. For example, I really enjoyed my afternoon naps with my baby in her first year. They gave me lots of energy and I loved bonding with her that way. In this instance, it was right for us to keep doing this. It was a great habit for us. But if this habit is no longer serving you and you start to realize it's time for a change, that's how you know it's a good time to make a change. When it's a good time, don't delay and continue suffering. Only delay making a change if the delay is actually giving you more joy. Now, if you're ready for this change and you believe your baby is ready for this positive and, can I say, life-changing change, stay tuned to the end of this episode because right to the end, I'm going to walk you through the seven steps that will help your baby sleep through the night. Step number one, get clear on your why. Before you even explore helping your baby sleep, get clear on why you would like them to sleep and also why now. It's funny because often we feel like we know the answer because I'm tired, because I can't keep doing this, because I'm at my wit's end. But guess what? These reasons don't always motivate you to see things through to the end. For example, so many parents feel exhausted, yet they don't make a change. So many parents are frustrated, fed up, but they don't make a change. What you need to do is get clear on why it's not only important, but why it's essential. When you start implementing sleep training and you hit bumps along the way, Sometimes these bumps and these hurdles can feel so big that you just want to give up. You think, why am I doing this? I don't feel the need to keep doing this anymore. So that's why it's important that before you even consider which sleep training method you use, that you first get clear on why you want to sleep train in the first place. I found the best whys are ones that make it clear to you why this is important and essential and non-negotiable so that you are going to follow through no matter what. So here are some reasons that you can think about, but I really encourage you to kind of take a moment, journal, and ponder it. One reason could be that you just want to help your baby's brain develop. Research shows 
that sleep contributes to infant learning in multiple ways. Sleep helps your baby's brain to mature and also prepare your baby to process and explore the environment in increasingly sophisticated ways. Sleep also plays a role in memory consolidation of what they experienced with all their senses in the minutes or hours they were awake. Another reason could be that you need things to be different. Research shows that parents who have been given instructions for sleep training, along with advice, would be better after six weeks than those who were not, with significantly longer, longer sleep periods and significantly fewer night wakes. Another reason could simply be that you just want to be a happier mom. The lack of sleep has been catastrophic for your mental health, for your physical health, and the impact of you feeling tired, anxious, stressed, and exhausted is not only making it harder for you to parent, but also bond with your baby or all your children. Another reason could be that you need sleep in order to be successful with your work, with your career, Now, whether you run a business and you want to work when baby is napping, or you work for a company and you really need the energy to focus, or you work at home and you have so many things to take care of for your family and you just need things to be done, either way, your baby sleeping well really, really helps you to be more successful at whatever it is that you do. If the lack of sleep prevents you from doing that, there are implications. Are these implications detrimental to your family overall? Like your business, is it more likely to fail? Your career, will it be harder for you to provide for your family? Or simply your family responsibilities, are you more likely to drop the ball at home and for home to be a much more stressful environment, not just for you and your family? Just get really clear on what the bigger picture is so that it's not simply just... I'm tired and I wish my baby slept better. Step two is to have a growth mindset for both you and your baby. If you find yourself saying, my baby can't sleep through the night, explore why you believe that. If I say my baby can't sleep through the night, it assumes they really can't do it. When really, it's just that our baby hasn't yet learned how to sleep through the night. This is a classic case of changing our fixed mindset about our child into a growth mindset where you believe your baby can, they just haven't yet had the opportunity to practice and develop these skills. One thing to note is who have you doubted more, yourself or your baby? For example, do you struggle with the idea of sleep training because you think you can't go through it? Do you doubt that you have the skills and the perseverance and the ability to help them learn this skill? There's a saying, comparison is the thief of joy. I believe doubt is the thief of sleep. In this instance, a growth mindset will really, really help. One new belief could be, I can intuitively figure out how to best support my child through this process. One part of this is choosing the best sleep training approach for you. Step three, choose a sleep training approach that resonates with your crying tolerance level and your results patience level. 
The most important thing with any sleep training method is that you follow through. Consistency is key. When I think of the word consistently in the context of a sleep training approach, I think, gosh, that means not giving in when my child is screaming. This means ignoring my maternal instinct. And I think I can't do that. What if I don't want to be consistent? If we are afraid of consistency or we even resist consistency because we think there is a danger that comes with consistency, like we do with sleep training, well, we just won't end up following through because we think actually the more consistent I am, maybe the worse things will be. So instead of looking at consistency as something that's risky, think of it as the foundation of building their sleep success. As you approach sleep training, think, what approach am I willing to be consistent with? What approach feels good to be consistent with? The easiest way to gauge this is to choose an approach that best resonates with your crying tolerance level and your results patience tolerance level. For example, many moms aren't able to sit through their baby crying, and that's normal. When we become mothers, our brain changes and also our nervous system knows that in order to keep baby safe, we need to be in tune with our baby. And so it's totally natural if we feel incredibly anxious or nervous when our baby is showing signs of distress because the the sound of our baby in distress, the sight of our baby in distress. So think about it if you're looking at a monitor and you're hearing them wailing. It's telling our bodies, baby is in danger. Help, baby is in danger. Go and rescue baby. And so if you find yourself thinking, I have a low tolerance level for crying, that is okay. That just simply means that your nervous system is working. And the main thing that you need to think about is exploring what your tolerance level is so that you can use an approach that helps you work within your tolerance level. I also mentioned the results patient's tolerance level because some training methods do require crying that maybe is out of your comfort zone. However, if you do that approach, your baby might only cry badly for one night. The next night, they might only cry for five minutes. And the next night after that, they might only cry for two minutes. And the night after that, they might not cry at all. And it could end up be just like a brutal few days of training. But after that, there's no tears. And so in this case, someone that might have a low tolerance level for crying might say, you know what, I'm willing to push through it and persevere if within the first week I start to get results. At the same time, someone might say, you know what, I actually don't have any tolerance for crying. I am a parent that it aligns with attachment philosophy and I'm, and I'm very responsive and it's not natural for me to try and sit through that. And so they might say, I would much rather use an approach where there's little crying, even if it means that I'm training my baby for 
two months, three months or more, I'm willing to see little improvements over a long period of time if it means I get to feel like I don't have to experience that anxiety that comes up. In other words, really start to think about what your tolerance level is for crying and also the time period you're willing to wait for results. This will really help you gauge which approach is going to be easier for you to be consistent with and follow through with. Now, I'm going to break down the various sleep training approaches so you can see which one might be worth researching more and figuring out which one is right for you. Let's start with the most extreme method, cry it out. Crying it out doesn't actually mean letting your baby cry for a few minutes before they sleep. It actually means really letting them cry it out. You put them down, you walk out the room, you don't return. Mom has gone AWOL. Baby has no idea where you are. And you just let them cry themselves to sleep. Depending on your child's temperament, this can be very effective but they do need to be a certain age. This actually reminds me of, it's a show about different parenting styles. And there was this woman who really believed in the cried out method and she had twins and she was like, this thing is genius. So she put her babies in the pram and then she would put the pram outside in the garden and then she would shut the door And then she would just let them cry themselves to sleep. And she was like, the kids are sleeping outside. It's good for their lungs. They're crying. Think about them as inhaling all this fresh air. And I don't mind if they're crying because they will just fall to sleep eventually. They will fall asleep eventually. She had this faith. And there are sleep training experts that swear by this and stand by this. And her babies did sleep through the night and they did also sleep very well in the pram. Now, this approach isn't for every parent. For some moms, this would be their worst nightmare. The idea of leaving their child out of fear that their child might feel abandoned, not attended to. And to be fair, psychologists may also kind of empathize with this perspective because particularly when a baby is young, when a baby is an infant, their crying is really their signal. They're trying to communicate to mom, mom, I need help, mom, I need you. And so in the early months, in particular, the first few months, when they are crying, they are crying out for you. And so if you don't respond, it can actually trigger a trauma response in the baby. And they can think if mommy doesn't come and mommy never comes when I need her, that can kind of be kind of stored away in their mind as a signal, as a learning that when I need help, no one comes to get me. No one is there for me. And eventually they learn to fall asleep. But, you know, psychologists might argue that the reason why I cried out is effective isn't because the child has learned to self-soothe. If you were to think about, let's say, an adult, when you as an adult are upset, are you able to self-soothe yourself? Often not. We might numb ourselves with alcohol or sugar 
or food or work, you know, throwing ourselves into something. But I know for me, it's definitely emotional eating. But, you know, are we able to self-soothe without forming an addiction? I mean, this this would be a whole other episode that I would so love to get into, but I'm going to try and stick to sleep. I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's worth factoring that in mind. Now, other sleep training experts say that research doesn't support this. So it really is a case of you figuring out what approach and what risks you're willing to take. It is worth noting that for this method, it's typically not advised that you start it until the baby is at least four months old, because prior to that, it can be really hard for baby to process what's going on. Some people actually prefer to wait and try when the baby is older and able to communicate and understand that mommy and daddy haven't left, that mommy is still there, mommy is still in the house, that mommy's just giving them the space to sleep and that they need to go to sleep. The next method is the Ferber method. This method also starts from about four months of age. And many, many people think that this is actually crying it out, but it's actually not. Whilst you do put your baby down drowsy but awake, you still pop in for checks. You can increase the time in between checks. You can do a check at five minutes. You can do a check at 15 minutes later on or more. And this approach is praised by so many parents because you get the benefit of the crying it out whilst you are able to let the child know that you are there and that they are not abandoned and that you love them and that you reassure them that they can do this and you still make sure that you leave the room so they can learn to sleep on their own. So they're kind of learning to sleep on their own whilst also knowing that mom is there for them. A great person for this approach is taking Kara babies. I will leave a link in the description. Now I used her approach for my first daughter and she helped my daughter sleep through the night from four months and has been a fantastic fantastic sleeper ever since. I know so many success stories like this and I totally recommend taking Kara babies because I also have friends that have used it and have had amazing results. Sometimes you can actually see results within the first few days and your baby cries for like five minutes before they doze off and then after a few nights they just don't cry at all. And it's absolutely amazing. However, this approach doesn't work for everyone. It doesn't work for every baby because not every child responds well to this. So for example, for my daughter, every time I would go inside the room to comfort her and let her know that mommy's still here, for my second child, she would just cry even more. And the more my daughter cried, the worse it got. And so I was damned. If I went in, it made things worse. And if I didn't go in, she thought I was abandoning her and it made things worse. So I actually needed a different approach. A third method is the chair or camp out method. Here, you don't leave the room when you're putting them to sleep. You put them down and you sit in a chair or camp out next to them and you help them fall asleep. So for example, with my daughter, what I actually do is I 
put her down, drowsy but awake. The lights are off. I give her a kiss. I say, nap, nap, if it's nap time. Or I say, night, night. I give her a kiss. And I literally just lay on the floor. She knows I'm there. I don't talk to her. I don't interact with her. I don't touch her. I don't shush her. I don't do anything. I'm literally just laying on the floor. And her simply knowing I'm there helps her feel calm and she closes her eyes and she falls asleep. And this has been a game changer. A fourth method is the wake and sleep strategy. Here you breastfeed or bottle feed your baby to sleep or you rock them to sleep and then you need to place them in the bed and gently wake them up so they recognize where they are and you allow themselves to put themselves back to sleep. This one is quite tricky because if you have a baby that loves to nurse, they may just ask for more milk when you put them down because they require that to fall to sleep. So this one is quite tricky, but I've heard that it can work for some families. A fifth method is the no cry sleep solution. Whether you can't stand the sound of your baby crying and you crumble every time you hear your little one in distress, or you simply don't think any of the other sleep training methods will be effective for your child. For example, if a child has been sick or has a health issue and you really can't risk using any crying methods, then this is a great approach because it uses minimal tears. Rather than using a single tactic or technique, with this approach, you actually end up using a collection of ideas and you focus on gently developing healthy nighttime rituals and gradually removing dependencies and quickly responding when your child cries when they need your help. It is worth noting that this approach can take a lot of time because you're really just trying to gently help your baby sleep and you are really just trying to meet their needs pretty much at all times and just slowly remove things that they depend on in a way that isn't shocking to them. If you're willing to wait because all the other methods is something that you're just not willing to do, then this can work. There are so many success stories. It's just worth following someone that is really knowledgeable on how to do this as effectively and as easily as possible so that you're not stuck for a lot longer time than maybe you otherwise could be. It is worth noticing that you may already be following a version of the no cry method, right? You are rocking, soothing, nursing, co-sleeping, whichever approach, because you don't want them to cry for a long time. And you're using whatever tools and methods you can to minimize their crying. So it's really a case of reflecting on what is right, what is working, and also what approach might be even better for you and your baby. Now, I've put a list of these methods in the show description so that you can reflect on this and you can do some further research into the one that you are most interested in. Which brings me on to step four, which is choose how you want to receive help for the method you like. Would you like to read a book, do a course, or have a consultation? 
A lot of people love to start by reading a book, but personally, I don't think books are effective beyond helping your basic understanding of the topic. For example, how many people achieve their relationship goals, financial goals, health goals, body goals, really make any habitual change by reading one book? Yet we expect that with sleep training. For some people, sleep training can feel as hard as losing weight or making massive improvements in our relationships. If you are serious about any of these things, then you know that you need more help than just a book. And so I definitely recommend that you buy a book just to educate yourself on the topic. But if you're ready for a change, you buy an online course from a sleep trainer that is most aligned with your approach. I've mentioned taking care of babies, but there are so many other courses online Little Z's method is also a good one if you want something in between the Ferber method and the chair method. And there are also other courses that are available from typically around 100 pounds to 500 pounds. And these courses have literally changed lives. They've saved relationships because if you think about couples, lack of sleep can really affect marriages because if you're bickering because you're both exhausted, it can affect your career. Or if you're a full-time mother and you are really a homemaker, it can be really difficult for you to enjoy homemaking because you're just so tired. So it's worth thinking, am I willing to pay just a couple hundred pounds or whatever the price is just to make sure that I get my life back, just to make sure that my business succeeds or my career is able to keep providing what my family need, or just to make sure that my relationship is saved and is able to grow as we parent this cute little being. Some of these trainers that do online courses also provide consultations to give you personalized advice if you want some specific help. And I definitely recommend that. That is something that I used and was the pivotal thing that helped me get the results that I wanted. But other times they offer individual sessions for like 75 to 200 pounds, or they can offer packages that cost more than a thousand pounds, which also include a visit to your house with someone holding your hand. You don't need a consultation. A consultation is really just the thing that someone might want if they have the budget for it, but you're typically able to get the results through a course and maybe a bonus one-on-one -on -one session or a bonus couple sessions if you need help troubleshooting some things that are really specific to you. Step five is to study your child's behavior for 14 days. On average, it can take up to 14 days for your child to sleep better when you are first trying a sleep training approach. Some cases, they can actually sleep through the night in as little as one or two nights. But if your child is quite determined and resistant to the change, it can take at least two weeks. I know that napping is harder for them than bedtime. And so sometimes that too can take a lot longer. That's why in the first 
14 days, it's essential that you track everything. Track when they had their first nap, their second nap, third nap. Track how long they slept. Track how long it took for them to fall asleep. Did they lay awake but not crying? Did they lay awake and cry? Track their bedtimes too and what time you put them to sleep and you know, track as much information as you possibly can, because though there are quite a few apps that track, you know, what time they fell asleep and also what time they woke up, being able to know the ins and outs of your baby's sleep history can be really helpful for you to spot a pattern. Now, I have actually created a spreadsheet myself, and it's made me think maybe I should share the spreadsheet with you so that I can actually see the numbers and very quickly analyze what has helped them sleep better and very quickly analyze the conditions in which they slept better and slept longer and also how long on average they take to cry or how long on average they take to fall asleep. Knowing this information was helpful for me to gauge if this is working, if there is an improvement, if there is a slow improvement. You know, it's really, really helpful, particularly when in those first 14 days, you're realizing, okay, this is quite hard and you can actually start to learn, which then brings me on to step six, which is modify the sleep training approach to your child. After 14 days, you haven't seen much of an improvement. This is a great time to start making a change and being consistent with that change. For example, talked earlier about how nap times were so hard and I ended up giving in by breastfeeding, but breastfeeding for two hours became unsustainable, particularly when she was teething. And so I knew that I needed her to sleep in her crib. And so I tried using the method because the Ferber method had actually worked for her bedtime. So we used the Ferber method, sort of. I mean, I would breastfeed her to sleep. This is my modification. I would breastfeed her to sleep, and then I would leave her in her bed, and then she would literally just sleep through the night until the morning, and it was great. And she didn't need me to nurse herself back to sleep. She would just wake up in the middle of the night, and she would fall asleep on her own. So I was like, perfect. When it came to nap time, it was actually really difficult because I used this approach and she would not nap for more than 30 minutes. So what I then tried to do is I then thought, okay, I know that babies have a, a sleep cycle and that, that that sleep cycle can mean that it lasts for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, I think up to an hour for some children. And I know that if she wakes up at 30 minutes or 45 minutes, she can actually fall back to sleep. It doesn't mean that she's actually finished her nap, which is something that I didn't realize. But I've when, once I realized that, I was like, okay, so I just need to support my baby sleeping for more than one sleep cycle so that she's actually connecting two sleep cycles so that she can have a good solid nap that is, you know, one and a half hours to two hours. So what was really frustrating is that when I was nursing her to sleep and then leaving her, she would wake up within 30 minutes and then she would cry and she just wouldn't connect the sleep cycles in the day like she did at night. 
And so I ended up actually calling a consultant from the Taking Car Babies course because I have the course. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And they were like, what you need to do is you need to stop nursing. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot imagine not nursing her to sleep. Like she's always nursed to sleep. And my baby, she loves to nurse. So I thought this is going to be really tough, but if it will help her fall back to sleep without needing me to nurse, then maybe I should try it. So I would leave the room. And when I left the room, it would just make her cry. And she would end up sitting up in her crib for the longest time. You know, the course said you can let the baby cry for like 75 minutes, 75. Now they allow you to I say allow as if, you know, they've tied my hands behind my back, but you know, it is the Ferber method. So you can go in and, you know, comfort the baby, but you have to keep leaving. And doing that for 75 minutes was brutal for me because every time I went in, she was, she would cling on to me and she cling on to my neck. And it was just, it was unnatural for me to put her down when she was clinging on to me so tight. And I reached a breaking point because I was like, I can't do this. Like, this is, this is impossible. Maybe, maybe she just can't sleep in the bed. And then I was thinking, no, growth mindset, growth mindset. My baby can sleep. She can sleep easily and effortlessly at nighttime. If she can do that, she can do this during daytime. Even though naptime is harder, she can do this. I was like, growth mindset, growth mindset, joy, growth mindset. So what I instead thought about was, the camp out method. And I thought, what would happen if I just laid next to her? And I laid next to her. And when I did this, she fell asleep. And I also noticed that, you know, looking at my spreadsheet, I noticed that, okay, what I can do is if I time the put down time just right, she's more likely to connect sleep cycles. If I'm a little bit off with when I put her down, then she's less likely to connect sleep cycles. Now, I wouldn't have had this awareness to figure out both the campout method and also that the campout method could have been right for us, but also that the timing of when I put her down is right. I wouldn't have had the insight or ability to see that if it wasn't for really noticing and recording every little bit of information about her sleep, because I could clearly see what was making her, making it harder for her to sleep. And I could clearly see what was making it easier for her to sleep. Now, the key thing to share with you is that if you are stuck, don't give up. Now, when I made just these two small modifications, really small modifications because I didn't nurse her back to sleep. I didn't shush her back to sleep. I didn't touch or tap her back to sleep. I didn't rock her back to sleep. I just simply was in the room. These really, really small modifications actually meant that now when she naps, she's able to nap for a full two hours in her crib. And I'm like, 
oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm able to work on my business. It's actually one of the key reasons I even have this podcast because I'm able to get more done in the day and in the week. We need this growth mindset in order to not only find the right support, but also to make these small changes and modifications that will make the world of difference. Now, last but not least is step seven. Step seven is to support yourself so that you follow through. What do you struggle with most? Is it the crying? Is it the vomiting? Is it the your baby standing? Let's figure out a way to navigate this. You know, earlier we talked about how as a mom, your nervous system is wired to help and nurture and protect and love your baby every time they cry, every time they hurt themselves, every time they call out for you. It's innate for you to feel a physical response in your body, to physically feel the stress so that you are motivated to go and help your baby. I mean, how scary would it be if as moms, our babies could cry and call out for us and move and make body movements and we wouldn't feel anything. That would be scary. Can you imagine a world where moms didn't have a response to their baby's needs? That would be terrifying. So this is a superpower. The challenge is, is that this superpower can also somehow sabotage us in some way because we want to help our child and we want to be there for our child, but we also don't want to get in the way of our child learning and developing. It's kind of the classic case of, let's say, a child that maybe wants to do gymnastics. If a child wants to do gymnastics and they want to practice front flips and back flips and all sorts of tricks, if a parent is so afraid of them hurting themselves, then the child won't be able to practice the skills and fall and eventually learn how to do a front flip and a back flip. What we need to think about is we want our superpower to enable us to be there, but to not sabotage our children from learning how to sleep on their own. So for example, if our child is crying, we might instinctively want to rush into the room Three minutes of our child crying can feel like 30 minutes. Seven minutes of our child crying can feel like an hour. And once it gets to 10 minutes, it's like, you know, hands fidgeting, like I have to go in there. Now the superpower can sometimes mean that we assume the worst, we rush in and we're like, they're helping the baby. And the trouble is, is that Try and imagine yourself trying to sleep. If you were trying to sleep, but maybe you were shuffling in bed because you're trying to find the right position and maybe you heard a noise outside and because it's a car or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden your husband comes in and says, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you? Do you need some help sleeping? you would probably get irritated. And the more your husband starts talking to you, the more irritating it is. And it's kind of like that, you know, for the first few minutes, it's natural for a baby to move and try and get into the right position. When, particularly when they're very small, they don't yet use words. So they don't, they're not able to communicate in a way that's not crying. 
And so it's important that you don't try and rush in too quickly because you can actually get in the way of them actually learning how to sleep on their own. Now, the trouble is, if you're still quite sensitive to their crying, even if it's short, what do you do? Now, a common thing people do is they ask their partner to help. So a classic example could be maybe mom puts baby down to sleep, and when baby is crying, mom leaves the room, and if baby is still upset, dad goes in, because dad doesn't respond physically in the same way as mom does to their infant crying. So they're able to go in and because dad's going in, baby's not expecting milk, baby's not expecting mommy to hold them a certain way. And for some families, this actually really, really helps sleep training work much more successfully when, you know, both parents kind of tag team it. Having said that, it is worth noting though, that as a mom, it doesn't boost your confidence if your husband's doing it. Now, obviously, it's always great to do things as a family, to do things as a partnership, to support each other. However, if you find that you are the main carer and you are the one that's also doing nap time, or you find that your partner goes away for business trips, or you find that you are alone for whatever reason, it's actually not helpful to have leaned on your partner so much because you personally haven't yet developed the confidence or the skills to follow through with this. Now, I know because I've been through this personally, I had all the confidence in the world nursing my baby to sleep in the crib and then walking out and then putting on my headphones and then letting my husband take care of it. It was fantastic. But the minute he would go away on a business trip, I would just be filled with anxiety. The minute it was time to do a nap time, I would be filled with anxiety because I just didn't know what to do, which is why I think it's super important for you, mama, to get really clear on how you want to sleep train and choose an approach that's comfortable for you so that you have the confidence and the skills to help your baby sleep well, whether you are alone, whether your partner is away or not, whether you are doing it at home during the daytime or you're doing it at nighttime, no matter what the circumstances are, even if your baby is sick, you feel confident that you know what to do. And on top of that, sometimes our child might respond differently to us. And so by you training them, you are also able to show them how to sleep with you and not just with some someone else. Pause for a moment and think about what makes sleep training hard for you. What pulls at your heartstrings? Is it watching them stare at the camera waiting for you? Is it hearing them cry for you? You find a way to not let your heartstrings get pulled so much. So long as they're safe and you know they're safe because they're not manipulating you. It's just a natural response that you're feeling. But if this feeling drives you to sabotage yourself, then it's really important that you think about how you can cope with these feelings so that you don't get in the way of your child actually developing these skills. 
Again, so long as your child is safe and healthy, it's really a case of supporting yourself so that you don't sabotage and get in the way of the process. Now, you can use white noise for yourself to drown out the crying, and you can also look at the monitor sparingly so that you're not constantly watching their behavior. And you can also distract yourself and get busy with another task and only think about the baby once you reach a certain time. So if let's say, for example, you've got a timer and you're thinking, I will do something in five minutes, just try and distract yourself for five minutes with music on or with white noise on or downstairs in another room. Just try and distract yourself so that you're not constantly watching the screen, constantly listening to the sound and, you know, doing things that make your nervous system fire up more and more and more. Anyways, that's it. Those are the seven steps. I truly believe that if you get clear on why you want to sleep train and why you want to help your baby to sleep and why it's important that you do this now and it's non-negotiable and you also have a growth mindset for you and your baby and you also get clear on your tolerance level for crying and for results and you also find the approach that works for you and you take notes and you assess how your baby is sleeping and you modify the approach and you put things in place to support your nervous system as you go through this. If you go through all these steps, I am confident that your baby will sleep through the night and become a great napper. It may not be instantly. It may be quickly. It may take a long time, but you will eventually get there. The only thing that doesn't work is waiting for a miracle, waiting for them to suddenly start sleeping better. Because if you keep doing the same thing that you're doing, then chances are things will stay as they are. So I hope this has given you a roadmap and some hope and some really excitement for the future, knowing that there are things you can do to help your baby sleep better and that you can do this, your baby can do this, and that you aren't alone. Anyways, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, please do subscribe, follow this podcast, and can you please share it with a friend? This is a relatively new podcast and I am loving creating these episodes for you and it would mean the world to me if you could share it with a friend. You can either message it to a friend that you know is struggling to get their baby to sleep or you can simply take a screenshot of this podcast and post it on your favorite social media, whether it's Instagram or whatever, and just share it. So yeah, so thank you so much for listening to this. And I'll be back next week with a new episode. And thank you so much and sending you lots of love and hopefully lots of sleep.